And just to tell you a little bit about myself, uh, I've been pastoring there in Delano, the great metropolis of Delano. No, it's a, actually a, quite an unknown city, probably never heard of it until I mentioned it. Uh, it's north of Bakersfield, around 40, 40 miles north of Bakersfield. This coming May will be seven years that I have been there as the pastor. Uh, before that, I, was, uh, I worked for uh, Pacific Bell, which is now AT&T. And I served in my local church in Bakersfield as a deacon and as a Sunday school teacher for a Bible class there. And also preached, uh, and, and I still continue to preach in the state prison in the city of Delano. So uh, I've been preaching in the state prison probably now oh, around eight and a half years. And I enjoy it tremendously. We have, uh, someone asked me about the population of Delano today, and I, I told them it was 50,000. And then I thought, well, and that includes as well uh, around 16,000 men that are incarcerated there. And uh, so sometimes our populations boom, but it booms, of course, with criminals coming in behind bars. Uh, but we have two large state prisons there, and one of them is the North Kern State Prison. I've been preaching there around eight and a half years, and, uh, and so I've been pastoring, like I said, close to seven, and I enjoyed it thoroughly, and, and it's wonderful. We, my wife and I are blessed with one little boy, Elijah, and uh, there in the city of Delano, it's, uh, it's a rougher city, to, to say the least. It's a little bit uh, rough around the edges. We have a lot of gangs a lot of drugs, and so it's a rougher type of city, um, but it's a challenge, and, I'm, and I praise the Lord for the challenge to go there. Uh, I enjoy evangelism. We go out, uh, I lead my church to go out uh, door knocking and street witnessing. We do that on a weekly basis. I enjoy the challenge. Is it difficult? Yes. Do you get scared? Yes, but it's good for me uh, to go out there, mix it up with the people, and talk to them and uh, lovingly confront them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that as well in the state prison. And we also support the Emmanuel Baptist Rescue Mission. It's the Independent Baptist Rescue Mission in Los Angeles. And we go there, and we preach the gospel there. And you also go out to Skid Row, which is an interesting thing to do. And we go out there and hand out gospel tracts and talk to people. And many of them, believe it or not, are demonized. And we go out there to confront them with the only truth that will liberate them. And that's the gospel, which is the power of God into salvation. And so I enjoy preaching the word of God. Uh, it's sort of a, a toss-up between studying the Bible and preaching. I love studying. I love to read and study the Word of God. Growing up, I was not a Christian. I was converted at age 17. Uh, I really never liked studying, reading. I read enough you know, to get through high school. If there was a movie to cover the novel, that, that was assigned. I would read and watch the movie. I hated reading and studying. I got saved, and God it gave me a great appetite for His Word, an appetite to study. So I am a Christian by the grace of God, and I am a Big B Baptist by conviction. I believe Baptists, what the Bible teaches, and what his, historically what Baptists have believed down through the centuries. Our church is a, um, it is a fundamentalist Baptist, sovereign grace Baptist church. We're an old-fashioned Baptist church. What was common of Baptist churches 100 years ago, that is, that is common and true of our church. We are old-fashioned in just about every way in our church, and I thank God for that. And so I want to lead my people in maturity and preaching the whole counsel of God, preaching through books of the Bible, and also want to keep not only a strong doctrinal emphasis, but a strong and uh, we could even say militant evangelism and going out after the loss. Not so much, uh, you know, sometimes Christians believe they've done their duty if they brought a lost person to church, and certainly that's good. You know, I'm not denying that. But really, it is our responsibility in church to get edified through the teaching of God's word, for we can go out through the week to evangelize the lost. The job of the pastor, myself as a pastor, and Pastor Smith is to train Christians for the work of the ministry. We are not to do all the work of the ministry. We're to preach the whole counsel of God. That way you, in turn, 
will know how to evangelize those who are lost, those who are at your school, who are at your work, that God has providentially placed there, that you would be able to give a reason for the hope that lieth within you with meekness and with fear. So that's all I can think about right now off the top of my head about myself. So let's get to the, to the preaching of God's word tonight. Let's go ahead and stand as we read the word of God, Hebrews 12. And verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace and mercy tonight again to ask for your help. As I teach your word, that you would give us hearts of faith that will respond in obedience to thy truth. Lord, as we look at this issue of running as part of the marathon of the Christian life, help us to endure, help us to persevere, help us to go forward in our Christian life. Help us to put away any weight or any sin that we are messing with in our life, to put it aside and to run faithfully the Christian race that is set before us. And may our focus not be on what other people are doing, but may our focus be on the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has risen and has given us victory over the grave through His resurrection. Help us, O Lord, to run this Christian race of the Christian life faithfully until the end, that we all would hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Bless the preaching of Your Word that you would be glorified through the teaching of your truth tonight. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It was the 8th Modern Olympics on July 5th, 1924, in Paris, France. In front of 60,000 spectators as they met together to watch the track and field events. Among them was a Scottish young man, by the name of Eric Lindell. Eric Lindell, of course, he ran the 100 meter very well, this sprint, and he was one of the fastest England ever produced. But he was a Christian, and not only was he a Christian, but he was a Christian man of conviction. He believed some things, some things that he held to be true, he would not change for anyone. One of the convictions that he had, a good conviction that he had, was that on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, he would not run. On the Lord's Day, he would be with God's people, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ who saved his soul. This was this young man's conviction. Now today people tell him, hey, you're not going to lose your salvation anyways. Go run, buddy, and get the gold medal. Don't don't, don't be so narrow-minded, so don't be so strict. Come on, there's liberty, liberty, liberty. But not Eric. It was a man of conviction. And because he did not run the 100-meter race, of course, in that preliminary heat, he was not allowed to run the 100-meter race, and so he had to run other races. In fact, when they were running, he was preaching there in Paris, France, in a church when he could have been running for the gold. 
He was preaching the word of God among a small group of congregation of believers. So he ran several other races, and one of them was a 400-meter race, which he was okay at. That wasn't his best event. But God honors those who honor him. As a result, he set a world record right in the 400-meter race. And not only did he do that, but he won the gold medal. Here was a young man that you could say he was a, a winner in every sense of the word. He ran the race, the 400-meter race. He was a man of biblical conviction. God honored him. He won the gold medal. Now, it didn't go to his head. He realized that God had him on this earth for one purpose, and that was to bring glory to the God that saved him. He could have made so many more, so much more money staying and doing something with his great abilities that he had. But instead, this man who won, won this 400-meter race decided that God had called him to be a missionary to China. And so the young man went. And at an early age, Eric Lindell died in China in a prison for the glory of God on the mission field. When I think of a man who finished the Christian race, I think of Eric Lindell. A man of conviction, a man to many people will say, man, he could have done so much, he could have made so much money, but he lived for that one purpose, which was to bring glory to the God that saved him. He was not only good at sprinting, he was good at the Christian life, at running the marathon, not the sprint, but the marathon of the Christian life. Why? Because he was faithful until the very end. We don't know when our end will be. But the question we ask ourselves tonight Are we running for our life? Are we giving it our all? Are we serving the Lord Jesus Christ, the one we claim has saved us by His grace and through His sacrifice on Calvary's cross, who has conquered death through His bodily resurrection? Are we giving Him our all? I played sports before I became a... Well, before I got married, once I got married, boy, it was was work and then the pounds and, and church. And so I don't play very many sports now. But when I played sports, I believe you ought to give your all. Nothing disgusted me more than a person who gave half of their effort in playing a game. Nothing. Nothing would disgust me more when a person, is, here he is playing defense, whether it be soccer or basketball, and they're, they're giving half of their, their ability, half of their strength to the game. Hey, if you're going to play that, just get off the court. Either be in there and be all there and give it all that you have, or don't, don't play the game. That's as far as I was concerned. You play to win, you give 100%. How sad that we can give 100% to our work, 100% to our education, but you claim to be saved, but are you giving 100% to the Lord? Are you running the Christian life for faithfulness? The Apostle Paul was particularly fond of this metaphor of a race. He talked about running a race, keeping his body in subjection, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He talked about running well in the book of Galatians chapter 5, about not running in vain in Philippians chapter 2. This is also the figure used here by the writer of Hebrews in chapter number 12. We see various aspects of this race, and he's referring to the Christian life. So we're going to look at this verse and look at different aspects of this race that is set before us, which is the marathon of the Christian life. Number one, I want us to look at tonight the event itself. The event itself, it is the marathon of the Christian life. Let us look at Hebrews 12.1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Hear this word race from the Greek word agion, which we get the English word agony. 
This is not referring to a 50-yard dash. This race is not a thing of passive luxury, but is a demanding, sometimes a grueling and agonizing, requiring our utmost in self-discipline and determination and perseverance. This word translated here in our English Bible, patience, means steady determination, steady endurance. It means continuing even though everything in you wants to give up and to slow down, but to giving your all until our Lord calls us home. One such young man throughout through history, born and serving the Lord in the 1880s, this young man was dedicated to the Lord. He didn't have much gifts. He didn't have much of an education. But he was determined to finish well, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ till God called him home. This young man wrote, when he first got saved, this letter, and this is what he said. I do promise God that I will rise early every morning to have a few minutes, not less than five in private prayer. I will endeavor to conduct myself as a humble, meek, and zealous follower of Jesus. And by serious witness and warning, I will try to lead others to think of the needs of their immortal souls. I hereby vow to read no less than four chapters in God's Word every day. I will cultivate a spirit of self-denial and will yield myself a prisoner of love to the Redeemer of the world. This man didn't have much, but what he had in his life, he was willing to give it all to the Savior that saved him. This young man was William Booth, who later on would lead thousands to the Lord Jesus Christ and found the Salvation Army. Here's a man that simply said, Lord, whatever I am and whatever I have, I give it all to you. He wanted to run the Christian life and finish well and run it with dedication. The Christian race is a marathon. It is a long-distance race, not a sprint. The church has always had many short-spurt Christians. But the Lord is looking for those who are going to run the distance until the day God calls us home. The writer of Hebrews is writing to the Mexicans. No, he's not. He's writing to Hebrews here. Wake up now. He's writing to Hebrews. The, the, the Jewish people have come to faith in Jesus Christ. But as a result of that, they had a price to pay. It was not popular to be a Christian. As a result of them not going to the temple and providing sacrifices because God had already provided Himself a lamb. He's already provided Himself the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And because of that, all those types and shadows of the Old Testament had now been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And these Jews had come to, come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, no longer turn, returning back to the shadows and the types of Old Testament sacrifices. As a result of that, that a price to pay. And among these Hebrew Christians, some of them were truly converted, some of them were not. Some of them were truly saved, but at the same time, they didn't know what was going on. They were thinking about going back to Old Testament Judaism because they were suffering for their faith. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to encourage them to continue, showing them that the signs of true salvation is perseverance in faith. And so he's encouraging these who are having second thoughts about their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. These early Hebrews, according to Hebrews chapter 2, had seen signs and wonders, miracles. Now, I'm not talking about the ones you see on TBN when Benny Hinn's there now. I'm talking about real miracles. They had seen real signs and wonders. But that wasn't sufficient, because now they're suffering. Now the Christian life was no longer easy, it was hard. And so he's writing them to encourage them, and it tells them, hey, the, the Christian life is a marathon. 
It is a thing of agony, but we must strive until God calls us home. Paul did not pursue comfort. He didn't pursue money, great learning, popularity, respect, position, the lust of the flesh, any of those things. What he pursued was the will of God. This is why Paul could write in Philippians 3.14, I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is the event that we find ourselves in tonight. It is the race, the marathon of the Christian life. And how many Christians are taking it easy? They have it in cruise control. They're going to put everything else priority number one in their life. I believe in education, but education is not number one. I believe in loving your family, but family is not number one. I believe all these things are good and right in their proper perspective and their proper priorities, but Christ is to be number one. This is why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Life consisted of serving and loving the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the event of the Christian marathon that we're all in. Secondly, I want want you to notice in our text in verse 1, it's not only the event itself, this marathon, but secondly, the encouragement to run. There's an encouragement here to run in verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, here tells us that there are a great cloud of witnesses. We are all creatures of motivation. We do different things for different reasons. Sometimes people come to church for the right reasons, because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to grow in their faith and knowledge. The Bible commands us in the book of Second Peter, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. People come because they love the Lord. They want to know God's Word because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But there are times you do the right thing for the wrong reasons. You're here because your parents made you to be here. You're here because you have to be. And you're thinking, oh, you're thinking, I can't wait till this guy's over. He yells too much. We think different things while we're sitting down. We're creatures of motivation. And here the Word of God gives us motivations for continuing. And the motivation is the cloud of witnesses. Who are these cloud of witnesses? They're all those faithful saints, those faithful Christians, faithful believers mentioned in Hebrews chapter number 11. We are to run the race like they did. Always trusting, never giving up, no matter what the obstacles or the hardships. We're to continue like them. The people listed in Hebrews chapter 11, they were not some type of special saint that walked around with a halo and they floated and didn't, didn't live and suffer the same temptations we did. They were average believers, but by faith did great things for a great God. They are the, he, the heroes of faith. It is not suggested, it is not suggested here that these men and women are now in heaven watching us run the race like they're seated in a stadium and the dead are watching the living. I've seen this, uh, this text butchered in that way. I remember having a guest evangelist in my home church. And he got up, and boy, he was, I mean, he was preaching. He was similar to Billy Sunday. Boy, he was kicking left and right, and he was shouting, and then he was talking about how his grandmother who was in heaven, and, and uh, Dr. So-and-so, and Dr. So-and-so, all these dead preachers. And they're all looking at him preach, and they're looking at you. And the people responded, Amen. And I said, Oh, my. That's not the teaching of scripture, of scripture at all. One Baptist preacher on the internet preached on this, uh, 
on this text, and I was reading through it, and he was talking about how he believed that D.L. Moody and Martin Luther King Jr. and his praying grandmother were all looking at him, and they would cheer for him as he would go on and preach. I don't know about that last guy. But they're all up there just cheering him on, saying, man, go, go, go. Say, man, it really touches my heart, the fact that all my grandparents are watching me. It may touch your heart, but it's not biblical. This word witnesses does not mean spectators. Our English word martyr comes directly from this Greek word translated witnesses. These people are not witnessing what we are doing. Rather, they are bearing witness to us of what, can, what God can do in and through a person of faith. If a person will have faith like Abraham and who's willing to sacrifice the most precious thing in his life for the sake of God, he can do great things. If he has the faith of Noah, those societies against him, he can make a difference in this world. These men in Hebrews 11, they're not looking at you and I, but they're preaching to us by the life that they have lived as recorded in the Word of God. God forbids, of course, contact with the dead. Deuteronomy 18 tells us that there should not be among God's people. And it lists all these people that practice things like witchcraft or a charmer or a consulter of familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. A necromancer was someone who made contact with the dead, supposedly. What they're actually doing was making contact with demon spirits, impersonating the dead. The believers of Hebrews 11 encouraged by example, not by cheers. When they were running the race, Who compromised their cheering section, the cheering section of Noah? Who was their encouragement? It was God who was watching them. It was God who cared enough to sustain them through life's difficulties and trials. Where was their focus? Their focus was on the heavenly prize. Their focus was on the person of God. If you're having problems with your family, we read about Joseph and how God used all the problems in his life. God did it for his own purpose, for Joseph's good and the good of his people. And for God's sovereign purpose. If you think your job is too big for you, study the life of Moses. If you're tempted to retaliate to those who treat you wrong, read the life of David and how he responded correctly to those who persecuted him. The same God who was their God is our God tonight. The God of yesterday is the God of today and the God who holds and controls the future. God is immutable. The same God they loved and served, the same God we love and serve tonight. God's immutable. He doesn't change. Malachi 3.6 tells us, For I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus, who is God in human flesh, Hebrews 13 verse 8 tells us of Him that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change. Why? Because He's God. The encouragement to run are the heroes of Hebrews 11. Average people like you and I, who do not have an average faith, but a true faith, and they serve God by faith. Trusting in his word. Thirdly, let us mark not only the event and the encouragement to run this race of the Christian life, but number three, let us mark the encumbrances that hinder us in verse one. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. What is this weight? Well, this word weight simply means a bulk or a mass of something. This is not referring to something that is necessarily evil or bad in and of itself. Oftentimes, it's something something perfectly innocent or harmless in our lives, but 
It is weighing us down in our service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Several years ago, there was a a winner of a, a recent Olympic gold medal who was coming to the United States for a tournament. He was a track and field man. He was going to run. He went to the uh, preliminary heat to run in order to qualify. And this Olympic gold medal winner didn't even qualify for the race. And the reason he didn't qualify is because of cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers? What's, how, what's so evil about cheeseburgers? You're not going to preach against... Are you undercover seven-day Adventist? No, I'm not. I'm not. Cheeseburgers aren't evil. They're good. Especially the ones with bacon and double, triple stacked. They're good. But this was the problem. Instead of keeping his body fit, he let something, that, that cheeseburger, become a weight. So when he should have been fit, ready to go, he was 10 pounds overweight, and he didn't even qualify for the race. He disqualified himself for something that wasn't, it wasn't evil, but it became too important in his life. Those are the weights in the Christian life. Those are not things that are evil. Say, how do I know I have a weight? Simply, what's the most important thing in your life? An education can be a weight. You put that in front of your walk with God. You make time for your homework, no time for God's word. You make time to be on class on time, but you can't be in church. You make time to make sure, boy, you have your papers written just exact. Make sure the professor is pleased with you, but you don't care if God is pleased with you. That has become a weight. How about work? Work can be a weight, can it? You put so much emphasis, boy, I got to work overtime. I'm going to get more. They're going to pay me time and a half. And boy, work becomes number one. For, for me to live is work, not Christ. Then it's become a weight. See, these things are not evil. These things are quite good. But if they're held out in wrong proportion, if, you're, if you mix up your priorities in life, they become a weight. What would you think of a runner, a marathon runner that was running with a backpack? And his backpack, he had books in there. He had some, uh, some, uh, uh, he had some cheeseburgers in there. He had some tacos in there. And, well, I said, man, what, what's wrong with this guy running with a backpack? He's not going to win if he's carrying this big weight. Yet how many Christians are like that? They're so busy being, a, being the master of everything. As they say, they're a jack of all trades, but a master of none. They're involved in everything. But they have not made Christ their priority, their number one focus. That's a weight. J. Wilbur Chapman used to say, quote, the rule that governs my life is this. Anything that dims my vision of Christ, or takes away my taste for a Bible study, or cramps my prayer life, or makes Christian work difficult, it is wrong for me. And as, and as a Christian, I must turn from it. But not only does he speak about weights of good things that become uh, messed up in our list of priorities in life, then he talks about the sin that doth so easily beset us. Obviously, all sin is a hindrance to Christian living. But the reference here is not to all sin in general. The use of the definite article, the sin, seems to indicate a particular sin. Now, for the Hebrews, it could have been a lack of faith. Because many of them were thinking about going back to Old Testament Judaism. But for you, what is your particular sin? Some people say, well, I, I can't see that guy down there. Boy, he's just a drunk. He's always drunk, not providing for his family. I could never do that. I could never do that. Well, maybe you couldn't do that. Maybe that's not your sin. But there is a sin. That is tempting to you. There is something that you find attractive in a certain sin. Everybody's wired different. Depravity has affected us all, but not all the same way. What is that sin? Is it gossip? 
Is it being critical? Is it looking at others instead of looking at yourself in the mirror of God's law? What is that sin? If there's one particular sin that hinders a race of the Christian life, is a lack of faith in God. Herosius Bonar said, In all unbelief there are two things, a good opinion of oneself and a bad opinion of God. If we are living the Christian life of faith, trusting and obeying God, then our lives will be different. Think about it. How is your life different than the unsaved? What is the difference in regards to faith and unbelief? Someone once wrote. What's the difference between the atheist who would not dream of financially supporting the church and the Christian who will not tithe faithfully? What is the difference between the skeptic who does not believe the Bible and the Christian who says, I believe it's the Word of God and doesn't read it? What is the difference between those who do not believe in Bible classes and those who won't attend them? What is the difference between the atheist who does nothing to build up the Lord's church and the Christian who finds fault with others except himself? What is the difference between a man of the world and a person in church who lives like a man in the world? What is the difference between a man of the world who lives for self and a person in a church building who lives for self and not God? These are tough questions for Christians who live in a tough world. The fact is that Christians make no difference until they are different. The challenge here is that, hey, there are certain weights, certain sins that beset us. What are they? Only you know, only God knows. But the challenge tonight is to put those aside to run faithfully until God calls us home. But God leaves us, gives us some encouragement here in verse 2. God gives us an example to look to. And who is this example? It's Christ. Let us look. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here the Bible says we're to be looking unto the Lord. Yes, we learn many lessons from Abel, but Abel's not our perfect example. Yes, it was Abel who offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. He offered it by faith. That's true. But Abel was not a perfect example like our Lord Jesus Christ. It is true that Noah in many ways teaches us important lessons. For he went against society and built an ark for 120 years. He preached, he was a preacher of righteousness. And by faith he built the ark to the saving of his family. And in many ways, Noah's a great man of faith, but he's not a perfect example. We see him drunk in Genesis 9. Don't copy that. In many ways, these men of faith, Abraham was a man of faith, was he not? He's mentioned in the hall of faith here in Hebrews 11, how he offered his own son. How he was willing to sacrifice his only son Isaac by faith. But don't copy Abraham in all that he did. He also denied that his wife was his wife. That's not a good thing men to do. <laughs> it's a denial. I'm not, I'm not married to her. Go ahead and take her. That's not what you want to do to score points with your wife. So we don't set him down as the perfect example. Our perfect example to follow and to look to is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Yet how many people don't do that? How many Christians, their eyes are fixed? Watch this now. Their eyes are fixed on what so-and-so is doing in the church. Their eyes are fixed on what so-and-so should be doing is not doing in the church. Their eyes are fixed on, on other believers, what they should be. Their eyes are not fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're setting yourself up for a fall. 
I remember the first time as a grade school kid, I wasn't raised uh, a Christian, I was raised Roman Catholic, but I remember the first time I attended a Baptist church. It wasn't on a Sunday, it was on a Friday. In fact, church wasn't even session. We're just going to have a fight on the, on the lawn after school. And so we went to the Baptist church. That's what I thought Baptist churches were good for, a good fight. And so I went over there, and all the kids from elementary school, when I was in fifth grade, we all rode our bikes over there to see a fight. And Willie was going to fight Jerry. And so we, there they are. We made the circle and egged them on. Come on, get them, get them, get them. And oh, I don't know if I want to fight. Oh, come on, don't be a sissy. And, of course, we provoked them. Not to love and good works, but we provoked them. And so they fought there on the lawn, and then the fight was over. Uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry won. Willie lost. Started crying. Said, all right, break it up. He's crying. He's over. He got beat. So everyone got on, went on their own way. I remember in the back of that Baptist church, the Shalimar Baptist church there by my home, I was on my bike. You know, when you're 10, 11 years old, you don't like girls, but you sort of like girls. You don't even know what, you know, I sort of, but you're cool. And so I was riding my bike. I was cool. Act like I didn't care if the girls were looking, but I cared that they were looking, but I was still cool, so I didn't really act like I cared they were looking. And so I'm riding, driving my bike, and jumping over hills, and, you know, jumping over the sidewalk, and going to the back of the church, and everyone's bailing out through the back. And they're going through the fence that had a hole in it. And as everyone's going through there quickly, I'm looking, I'm looking, and acting, are they looking at me and jumping over, and I'm going, and you know what I didn't notice? There's a piece of bob wire hanging between the opening. But man, I'm looking, are the girls looking at me? I'm jumping over, and man, my bike, did I clean it? Boy, I'm just looking, I'm looking here, looking there. Pretty soon, I'm looking at the sky. And all of a sudden, pain all over my face. Oh! And I would touch myself, I'm wet, I'm wet. Now I'm full of blood. That bomb wire ran right into it. I wasn't even looking ahead. I wasn't focused on what I was doing. Man, I was just looking around, looking at what was wrong with everybody. See, is there going to be another fight? What's going on? The next thing you know, that bob wire hit me right here on the top of, the, uh, top of my lip. Dislocated my lip from my mouth. To this day, I can pull my lip over my nose. No, I don't know if I did. <laughs> but dislocated, totally tore it up. You can forget about being cool. <laughs> I get up, blood dripping all over my shirt, and all my friends helping me. Oh, man, you're going to get stitches. Oh, man, it's going to hurt you. I'll take no, I don't want stitches. No, you're going to get them. You're going to get them, man. So everyone just followed me home. I'm walking home all bleeding all over. And What a fool I made my, my, of myself. My focus was so bad. I wasn't looking forward like I should be. I was looking at everybody else. Isn't that the way most Christians do before they fall? You're looking at everybody else. Your focus is on your job. Your focus is on your, on your education. Your focus is on your boyfriend, your girlfriend. Your focus is on everything but the person who's the author and finisher of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then pretty soon you find yourself in your back, backslidden, and out of fellowship with God. Why? Because Christ no longer became your example. He no longer became the focus of your life. You could no longer say with Paul, to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. The word author means pioneer, pathfinder, leader. Jesus is our hero, the first who obeyed the Father perfectly. He's the finisher, the one who brings us to our intended goal. The Bible tells us here that Jesus ran for the joy that was set before Him. Where's their joy in going to the cross? 
Where is there joy in allowing Roman soldiers to tear his back open? And history records that men actually died from that type of lashing. Where is there joy as men spit upon him and hit him with their fists and plucked his beard and placed a crown of thorns on his head? Where is their joy as they put a purple robe on him and bowed to him, mocking him as the king of the Jews? Where is their joy in that? Where is their joy as they crucified him on that Roman instrument of cruelty called the cross and as they nailed him and hung him between heaven and earth? Where is the joy in that? The joy was not in the pain suffered. The joy was in finishing the task the Father gave to him. The joy was in the, came in the fact that He would provide salvation for all His people. The joy came because the day would come when all the redeemed of the ages would bow before Him and give glory to the Lamb of God that saved them through His shed blood. The glory, the joy would come when the day that there would be a new heavens and a new earth when all the redeemed would worship the Father. The glory, the joy would come the day when salvation would be completed, where sin would be totally abolished, when Satan would be thrown in the lake of fire. Think of all that Jesus endured for us. He was born in a stable, not in a palace. Think about it. Today, if a woman was to give birth in unsanitary conditions, boy, they would be just totally upset if they don't have the latest technology in the hospital. Boy, that is a violation of civil rights. That's it called the ACLU. Right? No way. This is a right to be born. Have your baby in a clean, sanitary hospital. But yet Christ, the King of Kings, was born in an animal stable. Born to poor parents. His life was threatened as a baby. He had to flee his hometown as a child. He was raised in a town with a despicable reputation, the city of Nazareth. He had to support his family. He had no home, no place to lay his head. He said, the birds of the air have nests, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. He was hated and opposed by others. He was charged with insanity in Mark 3. He was charged with demon possession in that same chapter. He was opposed by his very own family. He was rejected and hated and opposed by audiences who came to hear him speak. One moment they're crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And within a day or two, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. He endured that knowing that that was what was awaiting him here on earth. He endured being betrayed by a close friend. He endured being left alone, rejected, and forsaken by all his friends. Jesus was tried before the high court of the land and tried for treason. He was executed as a common criminal by the most vicious means devised by man in his depraved thinking. And that was crucifixion. He endured that. He endured all those things that he would bring a people and save a people by his grace and by his power. He stands as our example Therefore, let us run with patience, meaning endurance, the race that is set before us. None of us won't won't even suffer 1% of what Christ went through. He's our example, our perfect example. He's the one that we're to have our eyes fixed, not on other people. That is the example to follow. Look at the end of the race, looking unto Jesus in verse 2, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When a person ran a race, there's many benefits. You could win tax exemption. You would win usually a wreath to be placed on your head. Maybe they would name a statue or a gymnasium after you. Receive fame and recognition, healthy body. All these things were prizes. But listen, there are rewards. There are crowns. The Bible speaks of crowns. When you think of 2 Timothy in chapter 4, where Paul talks about how he has finished his course. He has fought the good fight. He has finished his course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord shall give him on that day. And not to me only, he says, but unto all them that love his appearance. And why do you want a crown? We don't want a crown or reward for we can get to heaven and brag what we did. We want a crown. Why? Because when a man won a crown, and for example, in the Olympic Games in New Testament times, they would take that wreath, that crown, and they would cast it before Caesar's feet, saying, Caesar is Lord. He's curious. He's Lord. We give our allegiance to you, Caesar. They'll take off that wreath, and they have the honor of throwing it at his feet. But not so for the believer. We have the joy of running the Christian race faithfully, receiving a crown from the Lord, that, that way on that day, we'll take that crown as found in the book of Revelation. And we'll be able to cast it at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the reason why we're running to be faithful, to bring Him glory and honor throughout all eternity. Jesus, in His high priestly prayer, said to His Father in John seventeen four, I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thy own self with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. Jesus gained His reward by glorifying His Father on earth by total obedience. And the question is, how are you glorifying God tonight? Think about it. In heaven, it says in Revelation 4.11 that they're praising Jesus, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. But worship is not only what we say and what we sing for 30 minutes on Sunday. Worship is our life bringing glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ who gave us the strength, the work, the intelligence to go to school, has blessed us with so much. Where is your focus in the Christian life? Are you running the race? Are you on the side as you run the Christian race? Are you running with faithfulness? Let us bow in a word of prayer as we examine our own lives in the light of these truths tonight. Father, we pray, I pray that every Christian could say with the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4.8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but unto all them that also love His appearing. Help us, Lord, that our focus will be upon You and not upon ourselves and others. And that we would run with endurance, with patience. A Christian race that would bring glory and honor to Your name. Speak to hearts tonight. Challenge us and change us. May we leave different in the way that we came into this building. Challenge us and change us by thy truth and for your glory. Pastor.